welcome to Recast, presented by the Baptist Union of Scotland. Each episode will look at a key issue of mission or discipleship for church leaders in Scotland. We will be bringing you key voices, practical insights and unique stories, all focused on the church in Scotland. Welcome to our summer mini-pods as part of our recast series for this summer. And I am delighted today to be joined by Stephen Crothers. Welcome, Stephen. Hello. Great to be with you. Uh, Where are you joining us from today, Stephen? Joining you straight from the city centre of Glasgow. I'm at Adelaide Place headquarters and it's a beautiful sunny day as it has been for the last few weeks in Glasgow. Fantastic. Uh, so you're at Adelaide Place Baptist Church in Glasgow. What uh, what do you do there? And uh, tell us a bit about yourself for those who don't know you. I serve as the lead pastor of Adelaide Place, which is a church, as you said, in the city centre of Glasgow, which is coming up in, well, five years' time. It's 200 year um, since its beginning. Wow. And, um, I've been here coming up 11 years in September, um, serving in the church. Uh, yeah, so I am part of a team here. And I, I guess the more important things for me is I'm married to Claire and I've got three boys, Benjamin, Max and Seb. And between that and the other things, it keeps me pretty busy. Sounds like it. Sounds like it. Um, so you took some time out of that very busy schedule, I'm sure. Uh, to uh, join us at Canopy, and you led one of our seminars, which uh, I wasn't able to attend, so I'm quite excited to hear what you have to say here, but I did hear very good things about it, not least because they had to steal chairs from the seminar I was hosting to uh, put them in yours to get people to sit. So uh, so at least you had a crowd, whether or not they enjoyed it or not, I guess we'll find out now. But, uh, who knows, who knows. Yeah. Uh, so, Stephen, what was uh, your seminar about, uh, just in a in a, in a nutshell, and then we'll maybe dig into what kind of two or three of the key points were. Yeah, in a nutshell, it was a reflection on some thoughts about public worship, and um, is thoughts based on, I guess, a bit of an evolution of our thought and our practice at Adelaide Place, but also ones that came from uh, my sabbatical, which was a year ago, um, which experienced some liturgy in that. So it was. The theme was public worship and actually um, just me sharing a wee bit of a picture of where I think it might need to go in the in the years ahead. Okay, brilliant. So how did you break that down then? What are the two or three key points from your seminar that uh, we could dig into today? Yeah, so if it's to try and break it down into two or three, it'd be the first one would be about just the vision of the picture in my mind of where I think worship needs to go or uh the second bit is a bit of a critique of contemporary worship and um, where the, uh, sort of the dominant mode of contemporary worship that uh, that i'm most familiar with and then the third bit was around um i think i called it small subversions but just some practical things that we're actually doing to kind of where this actually touches down so those are probably the three sort of things that we covered in the seminar the picture of where it's going the critique and the just the some small subversions of practical things we're doing. Great. So t- tell us a bit about that first one then. Yeah, so the 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 picture, the way I describe it, I would describe it is 
an invitation to hold on to what you might love about worship and feel precious about and allow it to sit alongside the great tradition, which I will define very, very broadly. And more specifically for me, it was I grew up with what you might call contemporary worship, that sort of charismatic, flowing um, value of, of music then with the sort of eminence and presence of God and the warmth that that br uh, brings. And I, I love that, uh, but it was that how could that sit and hold the things I love about the flow of contemporary, but also realize some of the inadequacies of that alone. And so how could I allow that to sit with other aspects from the great tradition being all sorts of eras from prayers from the church fathers from different communities like the Tese community from the Anglican communion their prayers some liturgical practices how can we learn to um just deepen our practice of worship um mainly also through the lens of participation something that draws out way more participation so that was the invitation that I put to the to the seminar with the caveat of, for me, very often when we talk about worship or when I've heard people, we, we we tend to be quite high on opinion and quite quick to point out where people are wrong. And sometimes for me, as, particularly when I was younger, all I heard as, um, and this might be more about how I heard it, but it was just a, a bit of a moan about preference. And, and so for me, it was... Um, hold whatever you want to hold, but maybe just hold it a bit less tightly and not allow it to sit beside um, and deepen with the great tradition and, and realize the wealth of resources that um, can actually equip us in our public worship um, for the Christian life. Brilliant. So if that's the, where do you see us going? Your second point was about something of a critique which I think you've touched on a little bit there, but I wonder if you say a little more of that, because I think that'll be helpful for people to frame uh, where you're going there. Yeah, so the, the critique that I would offer, um, and it's not my own original thinking, it was, it was a few different places that this sort of critique has um, popped up. There's two main metaphors that I feel get to the nub of what I'm talking about. One is about diet and the other is about language. Um, through the lens of diet, um, the way it's put to me uh, at the retreat I was at in New York, which um, was a, a fun time, was the you know four rock songs and the pep talk is not a bad meal, or four rock songs and a hymn, sorry, and a pep talk is not a bad meal. It's just that as a as a balanced diet goes, it's far from adequate and. I guess it was indicating that there is a particular mode of doing worship that is very repetitive, very same, very flat. It's the same thing that's served week by week. And actually, if you compare it to sort of the fast food analogy as well, it's 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 fine. There's a place for it, but actually we can't live off it all the time. And actually we need to hit different notes, different um, moods, and you just need to look at the the psalter uh, to actually realize the the breadth of diet of worship that is served up in terms of the prayers the anguish of the people of god the ma majority of lament and and psalms and and worship that takes you down a very different mood and so it was 
the, the, through the lens of diet, that was one way of talking about a critique. Actually, very often in contemporary worship, as I've experienced it, has been a very similar meal that is served up. And as a maybe it's a bit of a caricature and a pop shot unfairly, four rock songs in the hymn. Um, although I've definitely been there and the high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we've all we've all led that way, right? We recognize it. We recognize it. It's been amazing. It's just um if that's be, all we're serving, it, it, it's it's just not enough. Yeah, I could go off in a wee bit of a tangent on the. It, it le- tends to lead to an excitement-driven worship that we need to be excited. We need to, and our role is to uh, excite people and get them excited and up for Sunday. And there is a place for that, um, but there's also a, a subversion of that. I think, yeah. and, and sometimes I see that in. And to us, how certain uh, we probably have done this, do this, but we we ham up Sunday. You know, Sunday's coming, and it's like <laughs> no surprise; it's coming every week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, it's again, it's a wee indication that I think sometimes we think our role is to excite people and lift them up, and actually, so, so I could go off. So, so the issue there is that that we end up with a discipleship that is about that's subconsciously shaped by these mountaintop or high moments yeah rather than and i might be taking you ahead of where you are just now but um rather than uh to steal a line from someone else a a slow obedience in the same direction that just general ongoing shaping that 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 sundays are important for but they're not about high they don't have to be about high moments there's a mundanity almost to it is that is that fair Absolutely. And what I said at the seminar, I would say again, is, do you know what? Let the high points be higher. Sometimes the problem is we all just hit the middle zone, like we hit the mid-tempo song zone or like let Easter be off the charts, exciting, expectant, let Pentecost be off the charts, but recognize there's ordinary time, there's mundane time, there's um, people can't live at the mountaintop experience. And, you know, the pattern that we've certainly seen at times where, you know, people grow up in church, maybe they go through youth fellowship, maybe they go through student years. Then they get, for some, um, jobs and or some family and or married, sorry, married family, whatever. And then suddenly their energy levels drop and they suddenly can't get as excited every week. And they realize, I need to find another gear to keep doing this thing to feel yeah. value in it. So, so let the high times be high, but make sure um, we attend to the low times and we also t- attend to the middle zones of just getting on with it. So, so yeah, it's it's yeah that would be through the lens of diet. The other one that I offered was through the. Um, the lens, the metaphor of language, and I use the example which I heard before of you know when we teach our children words and often words that they don't realize they're going to need, like sorry, thank you, please, and they do it out of just because we tell them to do it, and then they yeah. probably go on to realize oh, actually we need those words in the world. And for me, there's something, it's about breadth as well in our language that sometimes in worship, we need to offer people and train people in words that they don't realize they're going to need, like sorry, or God, where are you? Or this hurts, or 
um, or a prayer of faith for something. And there's something, again, in the great tradition, which actually can broaden our vocabulary, which can help us through different seasons. And so those were the sort of two main metaphors, though I went on to just give a whole bunch of critiques um, about a gentle critique, because I'm still a fan of the general contemporary worship stands for. Um, so th those would be the two main ones. Um, That's really good. It, on that second one there, um, or actually maybe across both, and this is, I, when, when you're defining worship, it seems to me that you've got a deep intentionality about it as formative rather than just this is about what we do for God or to God, but actually this is formative for us. Is that is that a fair reflection on how you think about yeah. that and why why these things matter? Yeah, I I, I think so. I think I think that's a a huge part of um understanding and it's probably you know when i was thinking about doing a seminar on worship which is we but why am i why am i sitting doing it of all the things we could be talking about why worship yeah and yet on the one hand it's the one of the things we do quite often for some in every week and put a lot of energy and time in and i think it is formative in a profound yeah. way of mapping out our experience of the the christian life and for, for us at Adelaide Place, we've kind of got, we, we wrestle a wee bit with like, what it, what is this um, thing called worship? And I think in terms of an order to defining it, it was about leaning on Robert Weber's stuff about ancient future worship. Um, worship tells God's story. I think um, Weber uses the phrase, God does story. So there's a participative enactment of the gospel, but worship tells God's story. It's a place of intimacy. It's a place of participation. And it's a place where we experience um, beauty. And it's in that, I guess, to your point about formation, there's something about in that gaze that changes us. And so yeah. we need to make sure that gaze is well formed because it changes how we um, live out the Christian life. So it's it's not primarily about us and our formation, but it's hugely connected to that as we gaze on on God, so right. Oh, that's really good. So the third part of your seminar was about, uh, I think you said subversive practices. Is that the word you used? Or small yeah. subversive spaces? Um, what do you mean by that? What What does that look like? Well, in the one hand, I give myself the out of like if you came to Adelaide Place or if you stopped us on YouTube or whatnot, you might think after all this chat, like I don't really see much difference. So um so in, on the one hand, it was uh, an admission that it's no matter what our default mode is, however you define it, there is most places have a default, they have a liturgy if you like of their own. And yeah, it's probably not wise to you know change it all at once. And it's probably harder to change it than you think because when Sunday comes you just end up defaulting to what you always do so yeah. with all that aside this small subversion where attempts to start to build in things that could be sustained that actually are small practices that start to 
I guess, blend and deepen, broaden diet and deepen language. So for us, um, one of the places we have begun more concretely is to embrace the Christian calendar much more um, intentionally and wholeheartedly, I would say. Um, and within that, um, I would say, obviously, most places have practiced Christmas and Easter. It would be strange if they didn't. But yeah. um, but for us, it's prioritizing the beginning of the Christian year and Advent um, where we also follow the lectionary readings through Advent and through okay. Christmas season and the Christmas tide, if you like. Um, and Easter, sometimes uh, Lent as, as well to build in the lectionary readings and the lectionary readings all through the season of Easter, the seven Sundays of Easter um, up to Pentecost. And for us, that has been is becoming, I think, a helpful um, way to draw us into something broader of just touching on the different moods. And it allows plenty of time in ordinary time to do our normal teaching series is going through a topic or going through uh, a book of the Bible. So are you preaching the preaching through the lectionary uh, in those seasons that you just talked about? Yeah, that's and right. So are you just you just take the gospel reading and say, right, we're preaching through the gospel, or do you take, and and that's all you do, or do you do something more with the lectionary readings? Because there's, for those that are, and that may, people may not be familiar, but you, you're you going to have an Old Testament reading, a psalm, a gospel, and a, and an, an epistle, right, for those Sundays. So what, what do you do with that? Yeah, so we... Well, one of the other practices that sit alongside that, um, helpfully, there is a skill. I'm not sure I can uh, offer a much on actually the, uh, training and, and developing the skill of using the lectionary. For uh, uh, there are definitely weeks I just take the easiest text. <laughs> I have, you know, there's always a theme, but sometimes in the lectionary, there's you're like going like you're scratching your head going I have no clue why they're putting these passages together they're clearly a lot smarter than me so I'm going to go with the one that um works um so I, I would tend to prioritize preaching through the gospel reading um and and mix it up with the whatever the epistle or is doing I would always use the psalm or the prophetic um text um, I may reference it. I may just read it as part of our prayers. But one yeah. of the practices we have adopted, as well as a small subversion, is actually elevating the place of reading scripture in our hmm. worship services. Um, not as warm up to the sermon, not therefore as part of the sermon before the sermon. And hmm. actually, it's interesting. It's been a bit of a almost barrier to overcome to prepare people to be like. I, th I think it feels to me they're so used to the sermon being the dominant thing where they listen. Yeah. That they're not, they don't really know. I guess we're not an oral culture in some regard, um, in the traditional sense. So it's been a bit of no, no. When we stand, when, when we stand up to read the scripture and we'll get somebody else to read it and we'll usually use the mix of readings. So maybe at one of the prophetic readings or the epistle and then the preaching text from the gospel. Mm to help educate is just to give a bit of um, pr prom prominence to to the 
that moment and we hope although we've not actually done this yet we've got some people here in our congregation who are particularly gifted at communications and just to do some training with the people who read scripture to read it well mm-hmm. you know yeah. just read you know, open the bible and just start reading it flatly but actually really read it well to model it that this is how god addresses us and we're already listening and so that's where the mix of the different readings can become really helpful as well as of course right. all the worship or a benediction or things like that that can weave in the text from the lectionary so Stephen, yeah. that's really helpful. I wonder, you know, we're barely scratching the surface here of a subject, and obviously you had the privilege of going to New York to this retreat where you've learned a bunch about it there. I suspect most of our listeners don't have that option. Um, do you have any resources that you could recommend for folks that if they want to go a little deeper in this, they could uh, have a look at? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, the ones that I would point to that kind of get at a bit more how can you create a collaborative thing how can you blend some of this stuff how can you lean into different traditions um and also keep the flow aspect so one of the top ones i would say is a new liturgy.com which is Aaron nequist he's uh um an ex-worship pastor of a mega church who kind of went on a bit of a journey um he has got a lot of good things to say. The Eternal Current is a book he has on this whole topic of blending of the contemporary with the, the great tradition. So he, yeah. he's he got a lot of good stuff that models and can copy music underscores that they've got that are really, really mm-hmm. helpful. Desire in the Kingdom is a book by um, Jamie K. Smith, which is really helpful to the point we were on earlier about what worship actually does and the formational power of it is helpful background yeah. in another book it would be a royal waste of time um by marva don that's the name of a book by the way it's yeah. not <laughs> not uh, that the books are royal uh, waste of time yeah. it's a royal waste of time has got yeah. some brilliant chapters which just yeah. stand alone and can fund your imagination and after that i would just say they're just like Google is your friend to find a treasure trove from, we've used Tazy songs and chants that have repeated the refrains. Um, the Vanderbilt uh, Reformed Lectionary is really, really helpful for prayers, artwork that matches the Christian season. Brilliant resources that start to give you just practical um, things. There's a, a, I think it's a Baptist um, gathering for worship is actually a brilliant um, resource as well for just yeah. actually going after the craft of that. The summary in that for me is we are trying to go after a bit of a collaboration of minister, worship leader, service host in our context, prayer team to be like every week can we be a bit more of a discerning community and these resources just help us with that. Fantastic. Stephen, that's brilliant. Uh, Thank you so much for your time. Uh, Thank you for your seminar at Canopy. Thank you for this. Uh, We might well come back to you and do something a bit longer around this. I think we could chat for ages. So thank you and uh, go and enjoy some of that rare sunshine in Glasgow. Great. Thanks for having me.